Good morning. Congratulations for overcoming the time change. That, that is true. We just started. Uh, if you would, turn in uh, your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And as normal, we're going to read scripture and then pray, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a heads up. I am going to recite a prayer out of the Valley of the Vision. And so I'm giving you a heads up because I will begin praying. You're going to think that doesn't sound like Daryl. <laughs> so so uh, give you that heads up. Romans chapter 3. One of our verses this morning is going to be 325, but let's start in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Hear the word of the Lord. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Blessed Lord Jesus, before thy cross I kneel and see the heinousness of my sin, my iniquity that caused you to be made a curse, the evil that excites the severity of divine wrath. Show me the enormity of my guilt by the crown of thorns, the pierced hands and feet, the bruised body, the dying cries. Your blood is the blood of incarnate God, its worth infinite, its value beyond all thought. Infinite must be the evil and guilt that demands such a price. Sin is my malady, my monster, my foe, my viper, born in my birth alive in my life, strong in my character, dominating my facilities, my faculties, following me as a shadow, intermingling with my every thought, my chain that holds me captive in the empire of my soul. Sinner that I am, why should the sun give me light, the air supply breath, the earth bear my tread, its fruits nourish me, its creatures subserve my ends. Yet your compassions yearn over me, your heart hastens to my rescue, your love endured my curse, your mercy bore my deserved stripes. Let me walk humbly in the lowest depths of humiliation, bathed in your blood, tender of conscience, triumphing gloriously as an heir of salvation. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we do echo this prayer of a Puritan brother, one who has obviously spent time with you, had seen the God who was holy and just and righteous, and a God that shed light on this man's sin, 
And he knew what it took, the price that had to be paid to give him redemption. Lord, as we enter this time of Bible study, our thoughts are for the Holy Spirit to give us light, to give unction to the words that are being taught today, to enlighten us to the truth that's in your word. And God, we just ask that you bless this time, Lord, that you, uh, you help us as we pursue the truth that you have made available. And all these things we ask in Jesus Christ's precious and holy name, amen. Yeah, once again, that comes out of the Valley of the Vision, and uh, those brothers could pray, could they not? All right, so last week, we, we, are, uh, we are looking in chapter 8, paragraph 5. Last week, we, we began paragraph 5. Uh, this is part 2. There may very well be a part 3. So it, it, look, it looks that way. I don't think we'll get finished today. But um, again, um, our confessions in the back of your hymnal, if you don't have a hard copy, uh, of course it's, it's uh, easy Google, but chapter 8 of Christ the Mediator, paragraph 5. The Lord Jesus, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he through the eternal spirit once offered up to God, has fully satisfied the justice of God procured reconciliation, and purchased an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the Father has given unto him. So last week we looked at um, that first clause, the Lord Jesus by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself. And so this morning, we're, hopefully we're going to get through which he through the eternal spirit once offered up to God has fully satisfied the justice of God. So we're going to look at those those. Uh, Two additional clauses. I started us out in Romans chapter 3, but if you would, turn over to Hebrews 9. We're going to work our way back to Romans chapter 3, but Hebrews 9, which these are the proof texts you know, that are available at the bottom of your uh, confession. Most of them have that, the proof text. And so here's one of the proof texts. Do I have a... See what you have on your handouts. There we go. All right. So Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. For by a single offering, he has prepared for all time those who are being sanctified, and that is chapter 10. Just in case you wonder what chapter 10, verse 14 is. I was like, that does not sound right. Uh, chapter 9, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So that, that phrase, um, in verse 4, through the eternal spirit. And we're going to talk about that a, a good bit. And remember that the Father is the anointer. Uh, Christ... I mean, that's the, the meaning of it. We talked about that last week. Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Uh, so that, that's a title. And then the Holy Spirit is the anointing. He's the unction. And so we have those, those three different respects. And a matter of fact, if you ask, uh, not, not Providence folk, but if I'm going to be a little 
biased. If you ask other people in the evangelical world, tell me the work of the Holy Spirit in regard to Jesus. And they would probably be like, virgin birth, virgin birth. Holy Spirit was there for the, the virgin birth. I remember that. Uh, baptism came down, descended like a dove. Holy Spirit was there for that. And then uh, Pentecost, you know, after, after the Lord um, ascended, you know, 50 days later, those Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down. So there's the Holy Spirit. And that is just woefully inad inadequate of the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the argument this morning is going to be the Holy Spirit uh, aided Jesus Christ in every phase of his human life. Every phase of his human life. So let's look at that. <clears throat> uh, we have that on there, the offices of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. So through the, internal, through the eternal spirit. So, so uh, the first one is the three offices. We know about he's prophet, he's king, and he's priest. And he served those three offices. So let's, let's look at the work of the Holy Spirit as he, he went through those three offices. Number, the first one is prophet. And we saw this early in the, uh, I almost said the Isaiahic, um, that's a theological term, shouldn't use. Um, in Isaiah chapter 42, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. So early in Isaiah, it talks about, it is prophesying the Messiah, and it says my spirit is going to be upon him. Uh, Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. If you read the Gospels, this is Jesus Christ, right? This, this was his work. And we know early in his ministry that when he preached, what, what did the people say? Did they say, oh, well, this is the preaching we get every Sabbath? No, they went, this man is different because he preaches with authority. So, so, so the, the prophet, he was speaking with the authority of God. So that, that was the Holy Spirit aiding him in that. All right, king. Uh, Matthew 12, 28, this is Jesus himself talking. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus was, was immediately um, relating the miracles to the building of the kingdom. Uh, Acts 10, 38, this is Peter as he is, is uh, preaching. Peter's preaching, and he talks about how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So Peter relates the fact that Jesus could do those miracles to what? To the, to the Holy Spirit. He relates that to the Holy Spirit. Uh, John the Baptist, and this is one of my favorite stories. I love John the Baptist. Um, but uh, you know how, how, um, how bold John the Baptist was when he was out in the wilderness and the, the Sadducees come out to him and, and John the Baptist, how did he welcome mm -hmm. Do you remember? You brood of vipers, who warned you of the wrath to come? And so, um, so John the Baptist was very bold, but if you remember, he was in prison and he had a crisis of faith. 
And he sent his, his disciples to Jesus Christ and said, Are you the one or should we look to another? And here's Jesus' response. Uh, Luke seven twenty two, And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. That's the uh, Isaiah 61. So Jesus says, Go tell John... The prophecies in Isaiah, you're seeing those now. You're seeing those now. So, so through the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ was building up his kingdom through those, through those miracles. All right, no, uh, third one, the priest as priest. Now, Jesus served as both uh, priest and sacrifice. And, and just a note here, we have to remember when we're talking about uh, Jesus Christ and his work, that he did come and he did die on the cross. He was the sacrifice, but it was, it was the Son who died on the cross. It was not God the Father, and it was not the Holy Spirit. And it was not Jesus' divine nature that died on the cross. Um, divine nature could not die. So it, it was Jesus, his human nature, that died. He, he took on a, a human body, and that human body endured death just as, just as all humans will. If they're not resurrected, or if they're not, um, oh, what's the word? Raptured, raptured, there you go. That tells you a little bit of my eschatology, that I can't even, can't even grab the word rapture out of the air. All right. So, uh, so God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, they did not die on the cross. That was the work of the Son, but they were involved. They were involved in the, in the entire process. And we know that, um, again, this is one of my favorite verses uh, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So that is God. That's talking about what God has done for us. So he was heavily involved in this. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So, so uh, they were involved in it, but, um, but again, that, that was the work of Jesus Christ who died for us. Okay, so as priest, as he was serving as the priest, that he was both the, the, uh, the one offering up and he was the offering. Uh, it was by the Holy Spirit that Mary conceived. Let's go back to the, the first of Jesus' life. Uh, Luke 2.40 says, Jesus grew with the grace of God upon him. And then we know in Luke 2.52, and in favor with God and man, the grace of God. So the Holy Spirit is, is on Jesus as a boy. We've already talked about his baptism. The Spirit descended like a dove. Uh, his temptation, the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And then, of course, his preaching and his miracles. So all those things were in tandem with the Holy Spirit. All right. So even if we didn't have Hebrews 9.14, if we did not have that verse that said, through the eternal Spirit, um, we could still build a case for this. It, it, all through the Scripture, we would still have that that idea. So a couple of things that come out of that. Uh, number one, the fact that um, the fact that Jesus was made like us. He was made like his brethren in every way. That's Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, he was made like us in the sense that he was tempted as we are. 
Uh, he was in, he had human flesh like we had. We know that he did not have corrupt human flesh. We know that we were, we were constituted sinners from, from our conception. We were constituted sinners. Jesus Christ was not like that in that respect, but in, every, in many other respects, he was just like that. Uh, so he was tempted as we are, and uh, so he relied on the Holy Spirit um, to do his ministry. So often, Christ did not uh, call on his divinity to, he was not, let me put this another way, he was not a deified human. In other words, no, he was, he was fully God, his, his, his divine nature was fully God, his human nature uh, was fully human, but Christ was not a deified human. In other words, I mean, you hear these stories, especially in the Gnostic Gospels, uh, boy Jesus, you know, a bird dying, I don't know if you've read the Gnostic Gospels, but a bird dies, he brings, you know, uh, he brings animals back to life. I think he made some clay pigeons and brought those back to life. And, and that's, that's bringing this idea that, that Jesus was deified flesh. In other words, anything he wanted, immediately it happened, even as a, as a child. Uh, you know, he, he flung his, his uh, toy out of the, the crib, then he could just bring it back, things like that. That was not Jesus Christ. He relied on the Holy Spirit to, uh, uh, he worked in tandem with the Holy Spirit to do the will of his Father. And we know that. The, uh, remember when they were talking about uh, Christ's second coming, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the, the Father. So that was a very human statement that, about Christ, that, that he did not know those things. Let me give you a quote here. This is from F.F. F. Bruce, and that might uh, bring a little clarity. F.F. F. Bruce. I'm going to quote him at length. Behind our author's thinking lies the portrayal of the Isaiahic servant of the Lord, the servant that was in Isaiah, who yields up his life to God as a guilt offering for many bearing their sin and procuring their justification. When this servant is introduced for the first time, God says, I have put my spirit upon him. It is in the power of the divine spirit accordingly that the servant accomplishes every phase of his ministry including the crowning phase in which he accepts death for the transgression of his people, filling the twofold role of priest and victim as Christ does in this epistle. So when I say that, that Jesus didn't uh, rely on his divine nature, what I'm saying is he was dependent upon the Holy Spirit to, to in harmony, do the things that God wanted him to do. So, so that made him very much like us in our Christian life. Who are we dependent on to do the things of, of God? We're dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And so that, that same idea uh, comes through. So let's look at some examples. Uh, grace in Christ's suffering. Grace in Christ's suffering. Uh, number one, the, the nature of Christ's suffering of himself. The nature of that. Uh, Christ's suffering was not just physical. Uh, matter of fact, uh, if, if you went, if you were able to teleport through time and go to the crucifixion, you would not see reconciliation, redemption, and atonement 
taking place. What you would see was a man dying on the cross. And, and that would be it. So in other words, the spiritual suffering that, that, that Christ endured, that infinite, uh, that infinite being that took on our sin, so, so that allowed that. An infinite amount of suffering was, was produced in a finite amount of time. I mean, that's, that's a lot of, a lot of infinites. But, but Jesus endured that. His, his death was not just physical. It was spiritual. And as a matter of fact, that brings up the, the idea of, of the Gethsemane. That Jesus Christ, the human, you know, that, that he was human and in, in, uh, he, was, he was carrying that, that idea of humanity, had the knowledge of the wrath of God. And what did that push him to? I mean, that pushed where he was sweating blood. He knew, the, he knew what the wrath of God was. And so, um, so he, was, he was being punished for that. And he knew what it was to, to be in the wrath of God. All right, so what graces were necessary for Christ to offer himself up? What graces were necessary for Christ to offer himself up? And, uh, and I have here as a, as a footnote, Arden Hod, Hod, Hodgins, Hodgins. Um, Arden went through this, and so I'll <clears throat> give him credit for that. So what were the graces necessary for Christ to offer himself up? And he used the, the heroes of our faith. One of them was John Bunyan. If, you, if you're familiar with John Bunyan, spent 13 years in prison, and it was, not a, it was not a good time for him to be in prison for his family. You know, he had a blind daughter. There was a lot of suffering that his wife and children endured, but John Bunyan had a zeal for the faith. And he would not relent. And so the grace that carried him through that is just amazing. And I could have picked any of these, uh, the martyrs, uh, through the Reformation on mainland Europe and also in, in uh, Great Britain. But I picked uh, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. Uh, if you know Mary Tudor, uh, Bloody Mary came to the throne. Uh, these guys were, were burned at the stake. And, and the grace that they showed as, as they went to the stake. And remember that famous phrase where uh, Hugh Latimer tells Ridley, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. So Christians dying well in that sense. So the grace was provided when it was needed. And so as they, they faced the, the suffering that grace was provided. All right, so what graces were operative in Christ's suffering specifically? What graces were operative in Christ's suffering specifically? Number one, submission, which is the voluntary obedience to the will of God. And we know in uh, John six thirty-eight, for I have come down from heaven to do what? To do the will of my Father. That was Jesus' uh, goal from the very start, to do the will of the Father. Willingly, he did that. And uh, we talked last week, Psalm 51, where it says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, where I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit and a contrite heart. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So God not only... Um, commanded things to be done but he expected those things to be done with a willing spirit and god's position is if you don't do those things with a willing spirit you don't do those things uh, he he says those things are not done well and so uh, so that is true in in every aspect of submission
funny, Kurt and I talked about the uh, submission to authorities, and, and God requires that. God requires submission to our earthly authorities. And, and the Bible uses master-slave, you know, it, in, in that case. Uh, your boss, employee, in that case, husbands and wives, the, the submission. And how is it expected to be done? It's to be done willingly. Now, that hits a wall, doesn't it? What happens if we're asked to do something that goes against the, our faith? And we're told, we're commanded not to do that. But we are expected to obey, and we're expected to obey willingly in, in those things. So it's not just an, an outward, outward event, it is an inward event. And so obedience, as a side note, I'll, I'll run a tangent here. Uh, when, when we talk about atheists, and, and this is at the heart of their, their uh, position. I mean, number one, to be an atheist is irrational scientifically. Uh, uh, science says that matter and energy can neither be created or destroyed. We live in a universe that's full of what? It's full of matter. It's full of energy. And so, uh, so metaphysics demands that there be some kind of outside force. But it is this point of obedience. If if you talk to an atheist long enough, this is going to come out. They don't want a real God. They don't want a God to exist because if God exists, then obedience is immediately demanded. I mean, if you've got a holy, righteous God, obedience is demanded automatically because he has a standard. That is a a standard that is in, in, uh, in in existence immediately. Okay. So Jesus did that, and Jesus was obedient. We talked about this a good bit last week, the, the active and passive obedience of Christ, Philippians 2.8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's Philippians 2.8. So Christ was obedient, and he was willingly obedient. I, meant, I mentioned the Garden of Eden, or Garden of uh, Gethsemane, Sorry, when Christ was, uh, Christ was enduring, you know, he, he said, uh, if there's any way possible, can this cup pass from me? So, I mean, he was, not a, he was not a masochist. He wasn't going, oh, you know, I get to suffer an enormous amount of physical pain. That was not Christ. Christ did, did not want to, to go through some of that suffering. And, uh, but, he, but he had that idea, but he willingly went. I mean, remember, to get to Jerusalem, the, the stories in the gospel, the, the disciples described the fact that all of a sudden, Jesus Christ set his face towards Jerusalem, and he was not going to be moved. He was not going to go any, any other way. Um, remember, the disciples said, well, we, we might as well just go to Jerusalem and die with him, because he was that focused. And, and even on that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, after, after praying that, after being ministered by the, the angels, he said, rise, let us be going, see my betrayer is at hand. So he was a willing participant in that. All right, so he had submission, willing submission. Uh, the next one, zeal for the glory of God. Zeal for the glory of God. <coughs> And uh, this, is an, this is an awesome quote by John Owen. Listen to this. It's a short one. That which principally acted him in the whole was his unspeakable, <clears throat> excuse me, his unspeakable zeal for 
and ardency of affection unto the glory of God. These were the coals with which a vehement flame, as it were, consumed the sacrifice. So John Owens is arguing that, that Jesus Christ's zeal for glory was the flames, the coals that burned his body, that, that consumed his body. And so zeal for righteousness was, was of God. And um, we're going to see that in Romans chapter 3, verse 25 and 26. But uh, specifically, since you're in Hebrews, we can turn there. I already wanted to read Hebrews chapter 10. You've already got verse 14. But uh, look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Let me read that. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said... Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written for me in the scroll of the book. So the author of Hebrews now is going to, he's going to do a little exposition of that. He says, When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, for these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. So the author of Hebrews is, is telling us that, that Christ came to do the will of the Father, and the will of the Father was to abolish the first covenant and establish the second covenant. And, and he did that with joy. Hebrews 12, 2. Uh, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for what? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So that was one for us. The blood of bulls, as Hebrews tells us emphatically, blood of bulls would not cleanse the conscience, but, but Jesus Christ did that. And as we said last week, uh, he did that for us, and it was our sin, it was my sin, it was your sin that made Jesus Christ's death just in the eyes of, of God. So his zeal for grace. All right, I think on the back of your, your handout, next one is faith and trust in God. Faith and trust in God. So you go, well, wait a minute. Uh, Jesus Christ was the, was the God-man. He did not need faith, did he? And, well, actually, he, he, um, he leveraged faith. Faith in God. He, he, he uh, relied on God. Probably the most poignant moment was when he cried out, uh, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we talked about the silence that was there. But if you, if you read the rest of that, Psalm 22, let me read the rest of that. <coughs> Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And here's, here's a conjunction. Yet, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In, your fathers, in you our fathers trusted they trusted, and you delivered them. So in that moment when Jesus Christ didn't use the, the phrase he often used, Abba, Father, 
You know, there was some distance there. The, the wrath of God was being poured out on him. He said, my God, my God. But he trusted in God at that moment. Uh, we're doing Hebrews. Uh, we're in chapter 10 here. Uh, chapter 11, of course, is the faith chapter in Hebrews. And remember that the, the, the divisions in the Bible didn't come when, when the author of Hebrews wrote it. That came later. Uh, Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. Hebrews 12 is Jesus Christ as an example. And Jesus Christ is a perfect example of having faith in God. And so he, he, um, he did that. He showed that for us. <coughs> Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we are, are, were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that faithful, that faith in, in uh, dying for us, that comes from the Holy Spirit. All right, last one there. Uh, what was the source of these graces? What was the source of these graces? Uh, the Holy Spirit provided all of these, all of these graces for Jesus Christ as he walked through these things. Uh, Jesus, with perfect obedience, did all these things, but he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. So Abraham Kuyper, let me give you this quote, and this is going to be another long one, Kuyper or Cooper, depending on your, your pleasure there. But Abraham Kuyper, and I'm going to quote him at length. First, God has so created human nature that without the Holy Spirit, it cannot have any virtue of holiness. Adam's original righteousness was the work and fruit of the Holy Spirit as truly as the new life in the regenerate is today. The shining in of the Holy Spirit is as essential to holiness as the shining of light into the eye is essential to seeing. I'm going to read that again. The shining in of the Holy Spirit is as essential to holiness as the shining of light into the eye is essential to seeing. Applying these two principles to the person of Christ, we see that his human nature could not dispense with the constant inshining of the Holy Spirit, for which reason Scripture declares he gave him the Spirit without measure. Nor could the Son, according to his own nature, take the place of the Holy Spirit. But in the divine economy, by nature of his union with the human nature, ever depended on the Holy Spirit. So in the divine economy, Jesus Christ, he had a, he had a divine nature, but he was in union with the Holy Spirit. As he grew as a, grew as a boy, grew as a child, uh, was baptized, began his ministry, went through his ministry, performed the miracles, uh, exposited the word of God, taught the word of God. All this was in union with Christ up to and through his dying on the cross. So, so that was the, the, the sources of his grace. All right. Next in your, your outline, the old covenant sacrificial system annulled. This is the, the clause, once offered up to God, once offered up to God. And this is Hebrews 10, 14. Hebrews 10, 14. 
For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. By a single offering, he has protected for, perfected for all time um, those who are being sanctified. So let's look at this in a couple ways. I, on your outline, I said there's two or three. There's three things in this. Number one, the, the relation to its context. The relation to its context. And the context is, of course, the, two, the verses preceding it. The two verses preceding uh, 14 is, But when Christ was offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. So this, this provides additional proof for that. The four, the four in verse 14 where he says, For by a single offering... That goes back to those two verses that he offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins and then sat down at the right hand of his father. And that's point two. The work was accomplished. Remember the, the priests. When did they sit down in the, the meeting of the tabernacle or the meeting, tent of meeting or the tabernacle? They never sat down. There were no chairs. There were no, they were always at work. But Christ, when he goes through a tabernacle not made by human hands, the tabernacle... Um, in heaven, he accomplishes the work, and then he sits down. So because the work is completed. The work is accomplished. All right, number two, what is meant by perfected for all time? Uh, perfected here literally means completed or consummated. Completed or consummated. And it's not speaking of our glorified state. It's not speaking of, of us going and, and being in heaven. It's speaking of our righteous standing. The, the righteous saying, in fact, it's a present passive participle, and it is emphasis on the unrepeatable nature of the sacrifice of Christ. In other words, the sacrifice of Christ was once and no more. Uh, to our Catholic friends, I'm sorry, you know, the, their Eucharist, where Christ is sacrificed over and over, no. The, the, the text says one time, one time, and, and no more. And so they are perfected. Uh, number three, who? Who are sanctified? Who are sanctified? Um, and of course, that is us. That is, that is the elect. Those who are perfected, they are sanctified. Um, A.W. Pink, and I believe this was A.W. Pink. A.W. Pink uh, calls out the, the, the way the author of Hebrews refers to Christians. And let me read that to you. Hebrews, in 114, they are the heirs of salvation. Hebrews 2.10, they are called sons. Hebrews 2.12, we are referred to as brothers of Christ. Hebrews 3.1, we are sharers of a heavenly calling. Hebrews 6.17, we are heirs of promise. Hebrews 8.8, 8, we are the house of Israel, the house of Judah. And here in chapter 10, we are the sanctified. So the, the author of Hebrews refers to us in many different ways. All right, now let's turn to Romans chapter 3. And I can tell you already, we're just going to dip our toe in the water and lay down for next week. Romans chapter 3, and the proof text that, we, that um, the confession uses here is verses 25 and 26. Let me read those. Romans chapter 3, verse 25 and 26. 
whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So, uh, propitiation, that, that word is used here, and it, uh, it has a, a very colorful background. It is not the same word. Propitiation is used several times in, in your Bible. Uh, Hebrews 2.17, uh, uh, John uses it in, in his epistles, uh, 2.2, and then in uh, 1 John 4.10. Uh, it is the same root word, but not the same word. Uh, the, the word actually used here for uh, propitiation is, is mercy seat. In, in the Septuagint, they would, they would uh, translate this word as the, the mercy seat. And so here it's used propitiation, and we're going we're gonna to spend a little time to, to justify that. And, um, and Martin Lloyd-Jones goes on a, a, a bit of a tangent, but in his time... The RSV was it was it was uh, the RSV was put together earlier, but it was printed in America uh, around 1952. That's when it became popular, and the RSV here uses the word expiation instead of propitiation, and and they were they were doing exegesis as they were doing translation, and and because what does the expiation is just the taking away of guilt, so that's that's kind of one side of, of the coin. And, and that carries a lot of things with it. C.H. Dodd took off on this. Uh, he was a uh, 20th century theologian. And, uh, and it was the position that, that the wrath of God was just the consequence of sin. That, that was the position. That, that uh, there was nothing in God that had to be satisfied. That would be propitiation. Uh, it was just expiation. Just the, the, the wrath of God... Uh, was simply what happened when we sinned. Uh, I mean, if we if we told a lie, then that was you know the consequences. That was the wrath of God. If we gossiped, the consequences was the wrath of God. If we um, if, if we committed adultery, the the consequences that was just the wrath of God. So there was nothing that had to be appeased on God's side. It was just the consequence of our sin, which. Uh, you know, that's not right. Uh, that's not good. In fact, Mar Martin Lloyd-Jones replied to him during that time and uh, to C.H. Dodd and said, okay, so if, if the wrath of God is just the consequence of sin, is mercy just the consequence of good works? Of which C.H. Dodd, <laughs> he recalled and he said, well, no, mercy is an attribute of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, there you go. Wrath is an attribute of God, of a righteous God. And so he, uh, he, he fills that out. All right, real quick, I've got on your outline the, uh, the four things, uh, essential and propitiation. And we're going to do those, and I'm going to stop. <clears throat> These are from John Owen. So the four things, the four requirements of any propitiation. Number one, an offense to be taken away. And we know Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Number two, a person offended who needs to be pacified, an offendee. And uh, Psalm 
David, after all he did, what did he say? Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So, so God is offended by our sin. When we sin, we can, we can do harm to our fellow um, church member. We can do harm to our fellow, fellow person. But who are we sinning against? We are sinning against God. So there's a, uh, an offense to be taken, a person offended who needs to be pacified, and an offending person, an offender. As it is written, this is Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. So we're, we offend people. We offend uh, God when we sin. And then uh, number four, sacrifice or some other means for making an atonement for the offense. There has to be an appeasement. There has to be an atonement. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So those are the four, four aspects of propitiation, which, which that will come next week. All right, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day, another Lord's Day when we can come to your house. God, with anticipation, we look to our services. We look to the time that we can sing of your glory, the time that we can pray to you, the time where your word is read, and then your word is proclaimed. God, we do, uh, we pray for unction of the Holy Spirit. We pray for ears that will hear. And God, uh, we ask that all of this be done to your honor and to your glory. And all these things we ask in Jesus Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.